0: verses 1 through 10 in just a minute, Galatians 2, 1 through 10, if you would like to turn there in your Bibles. Um, You have a moment to turn there while I introduce a subject matter. A young man was appointed president of a bank. Intimidated by his new responsibilities, he nervously sought the advice of his gray-haired predecessor. Sir, what has been the secret of your success? The secret, young man, is two words, right decisions, replied the older man. But how do you make right decisions? One word, experience. But how do you get experience? The old man smiled. Two words, wrong decisions. (laughs) And aren't we glad for second chances? As we look through Galatians and we dive into Galatians chapter 2, we continue in Galatians and we see God's grace, God's grace that gives us second and third chances, and we don't earn our salvation. We don't have to worry that we made a wrong decision, we lost our way into heaven. As we dive into Galatians 2, we see Paul continue to defend his apostleship and to defend the true, the true gospel. Paul talks about going to see the other apostles, and they make a decision, a correct decision. They formalize the gospel of grace. They formalize, formally agree to the gospel of grace. Two questions. What have you done to earn your salvation? What have you done to earn your salvation? Uh, What do you do to maintain your salvation? How do you maintain your salvation? It's nothing we do that allows us to be saved. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has done for us, going to the cross on our behalf. As we look at Galatians 2, 1 to 10, we'll see you know, Paul being formally accepted by the Jerusalem apostles. So my theme is, Paul is recognized by the Jerusalem apostles, and they formally recognize the gospel of grace. Let's read Galatians 2, 1 to 10. If you're not there, please turn there and your Bible or your tablet or whatever it may be. Galatians 2, 1 to 10. Let's talk about this passage. I'm going to read. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. I'm sure that you're reading from the original Greek. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we had in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them, for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they are or what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. In recognizing the grace that had been given to me James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. We're going through Galatians. You'll read along and you'll read Cephas. And Cephas is another name for Peter. So if you didn't know that, uh, there's no extra charge for that. Uh, Peter is Cephas. Cephas is Peter. I've also heard it pronounced Cephas, but for whatever reason, I think Cephas. Cephas and Peter. As we see in these verses, Paul meets with the Jerusalem apostles. Uh, Galatians is in a large way biographical. Or testimonial. Paul is talking. Paul had planted the church in Galatia. Remember, we've talked about that. He had planted that church, and now it's three or four years later or so. It's just been a little bit, just a little bit of time, and they had already strayed away. They have strayed away so much that they have perverted the gospel. They have strayed away so much that Paul says they have turned the gospel of grace into something which it is not being a gospel of works so just in a matter of years they have strayed from the true gospel and paul is trying to correct them paul is trying to take his 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 shepherd's crook so to speak and take his sheep and point them to the right path here and he's doing that somewhat testimonial testimonially talking about how he led them to the faith and when he went to jerusalem and what he's been up to and things of that nature so in verse one In verse 1, he says that he has gone, he went back to Jerusalem. He says, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Now, when he's talking about this interval of 14 years, he's probably beginning that 14 years about the time when he was saved. It's been about 14 years since his first visit to Jerusalem when he was saved. It has not been 14 years since the people of Galatia were saved. It's only been a few years, three or four years, since they've been saved. And so we see that. You know, it is hard to tell. Paul is talking about this this other trip to Jerusalem, going back to Jerusalem. And it's hard to tell exactly when that was. Some believe this is Acts chapter 11. Others believe Acts chapter 15. I had a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary who believed that this was Acts chapter 15, which we call the Jerusalem Council, which there could be a good case for that, certainly. There's another professor from Dallas Theological Seminary who makes the case that this is Acts chapter 11. Now, what's really neat is when you read the book of Acts and you're reading the rest of the New Testament, you can cross-reference them together. You can look at things that happened in 1 Corinthians, and you can see Paul referring to things that had happened in the book of Acts. Because Acts is made up of the Acts of the early church. And we can see Paul planting these churches in Acts. So we have record of, of five visits that the Apostle Paul made to Jerusalem. He had the first visit, which is when he left Damascus. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 30. It's already been refer- referred to in Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. We have his second visit, which was the famine visit. That is recorded in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And that could be what Paul is referring to right here. We have a third visit when the Apostle Paul went to Jerusalem... And that was the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 29. That, is, um, that was their first business meeting, okay? They have business meetings in their churches too, just occasionally. That was the Jerusalem Council. Then we have his fourth visit to Jerusalem. That was the visit at the end of the second missionary journey, and that is recorded in Acts chapter 18, verse 22. And then we have a fifth visit. The final visit that resulted in Paul's imprisonment, his Caesarean imprisonment, and that's in Acts 21.15 through 23.35. So this could have been Paul's second visit or Paul's third visit. Either way, what's very important here is we see the Jerusalem apostles. He calls them the pillars of the New Testament church, affirming the gospel of grace. Paul had a formal meeting in Jerusalem. And he wanted to discuss legalism. He wanted to discuss legalism. And the leaders of the church rejected, they actually rejected works-based salvation in favor of salvation by grace alone. Paul goes to Jerusalem because of a revelation. He had a revelation, which means that God had revealed something to him. Paul had, God had revealed the gospel of grace to the apostle Paul. And when God revealed the gospel of grace to the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul was saved. And he became a missionary. So Paul had a private meeting with the apostles. Paul says it was a private meeting, and that could be part of the reason that some think this is Acts chapter 11. Because in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council seems to be some type of a, of a public meeting. They invited in the network news, you know, and things like that to um, help demonstrate what's going on. I'm joking there, don't take me too seriously. (laughs) CNN wasn't there, okay? (laughs) Neither was Fox. (laughs) But now here's a really interesting thing. Titus was a Greek, and Titus was with the Apostle Paul. Now Titus was there, and Titus was a Greek. And Paul makes a strong emphasis... That they, did not, uh, that they had decided there was no need for him, for Titus, being a Greek, to follow the Jewish law. There was no need for Titus, being a Greek, to be circumcised. And you know, circumcision was a Jewish ritual that let one into the Jewish religion. It was a very important thing in Judaism, going all the way back to Abraham, actually. And Titus, though he was a Greek, did not need to go through that ordeal. Now, as we read about these different people in the Bible, Titus became very important. So I read something about Titus, which I would like to share with you. Titus probably gets the Pauline Service Award with 20 years as Paul's co-worker. Titus was born a Gentile, and when he became a Christian, he did not get circumcised. When Titus accompanied Paul on a visit to Jerusalem, some Jewish Christians insisted Paul's companion be circumcised according to Jewish law. As Paul put it, he did not yield submission even for a moment. And Titus remained uncircumcised. Titus thus served as a powerful symbol of justification by grace, not by law. Justification means you are made right before God. You are made righteous before God by grace, which means it's a Christmas gift. It's a gift. It's grace, not by law. Titus served with Paul during his extended stay in Ephesus as a partner and fellow worker. And from there, Titus tackled his toughest assignment to combat grave immorality in the Corinthian church and mediate their reconciliation with Paul. Titus put his pastoral skills to work and reported back to a nervously awaiting Paul that Paul's severe third Corinthian letter had led to their repentance. Titus was later appointed the first bishop of the troubled church at Crete, where Paul wrote him about the qualities of a good bishop. Eusebius, who was an early church historian, Eusebius reports that Titus died there in Crete in 96 AD, and he was buried in the ancient capital, Gortina. His head was supposedly removed in 823 by Saracens, and later enshrined at St. Mars Cathedral, Venice. So it's just kind of interesting to read about some of the background of these people in the New Testament. Well, you need to know here is Titus is with the Apostle Paul, and Titus Though he being a Greek, did not need to follow this Jewish ritual, this Jewish ritual of circumcision. Verse 4 gets into deceitful false brethren who tried to make people follow the law. Notice the way Paul describes them in verses uh, 4 through 5. He says, but it was because of the false brethren, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So Paul describes these false brethren, which we're going to hear more about in a moment, likely Pharisees. They were secretly brought into their meeting. They had this private meeting to determine the gospel of grace. And they secretly, these people were secretly brought in, kind of snuck in. Paul used strong words to describe them as false brethren, secretly brought in, Sneaked in, sneaked in to spy out our liberty and bring us into bondage. They're kind of sneaked in there. And during this Jerusalem meeting with the pillar apostles, they're getting out their smartphones, they're tweeting what's going on, trying to make trouble. Aren't we glad that Twitter didn't exist back then? One source writes these false Christians were most likely from the party of the Pharisees, these were the strictest religious leaders of Judaism. Some of whom have been uh, converted. We don't know if these were representatives of well-meaning converts or of those trying to pervert Christianity. Most commentators agree that neither Peter nor James had any part in this conspiracy. Neither Peter nor James, none of these these pillar apostles, leaders of the early church, had part in this conspiracy. So in verse 6, Paul says that God shows no partiality. And neither will he to people in high positions. Now that is really critical to our understanding. God does not show partiality. Later on in Galatians three, twenty eight, Paul will say there is neither Greek nor Jew. Slave nor free man. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. And that has been critical throughout church history. Because God does not show partiality. They can take the gospel all around the known world in the book of Acts. Because God does not show partiality. We can go to China with the gospel or South Africa with the gospel or India or the United States or any other place around the world. And God does not show partiality. And we need to remember that today. We'll come back to that. Sin and our fallen human nature makes us want to be partial, by the way. And we need to let the Holy Spirit fill us and guide us so that we also do not show partiality. In verses 7 through 10, we realize that all of the pillars of the church recognize the truth of the grace-based gospel. Now, if you recall, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul has said it doesn't really matter. Who this gospel came from? Because it came from Jesus himself. Jesus himself had revealed the gospel of grace to the apostle Paul. Still, it is critical that the Jerusalem apostles, these pillars of the church, Peter and James and the others, also recognize the gospel of grace. We need to remember here right now as we look at this passage that we are not apostles. None of us can claim to have this mystical secret knowledge that leads us to a different route of the gospel. The cults have done this through the ages. In Mormon, uh, in Mormon history, they received the founder of Mormonism, received this special revelation which he believed to be from God. But this special revelation contradicted the Bible, it contradicted the New Testament. So, anytime we believe we have a revelation from God, that needs to be confirmed with the Word of God and other believers in Christ. In this case, the message which Paul was preaching, the grace-based gospel, the Jesus plus nothing gospel, was confirmed. Was confirmed by the other apostles. And later, then we realize that Peter had a mission to the Jewish people, and Paul had a mission to the Gentiles. This is also critical. This is so important. God can send different people on different missions and use both. And God has done that through the ages. He does that with us. You all have a different mission from God. You all have a different mission to carry out the Great Commission to a different people group. We all have a sphere of influence. And God wants us to share the gospel with that sphere of influence. For some of you, it might be you know, your family and friends. For others, it might be coworkers. For others, God does want you to go uh, to a different area, a different environment and share the gospel. But we take the gospel everywhere we go. We, we infect people with the gospel and we are called to be Jesus' witnesses. In this case, what could have been a real division in the early church between Peter and Paul, God chose to use to glorify his name and further the kingdom. Peter just keeps on going to the, to the Jewish people, and the apostle Paul takes the gospel to all these Gentiles. However, Peter also took the gospel to Gentiles as well. You can read about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. It's really important. Let's make some applications here. God shows no partiality, verse 6. We, if we really want to apply this, we must say that we will not show partiality based off of social status or in any other way. We must not show partiality. And we must ask God to convict us because a lot of times our partialities, our inner prejudices, are buried deep within our mind and deep within our heart. And they will come out. And hopefully when they do, we repent of them and we move on. In verses 4 through 6, we see that false brethren tried to mess with the message. But Paul and his companions did not give in to their message. You know, we must not change doctrine by intimidation. We, Paul says the truth of the gospel stayed with them. We must not mess with the truth of the gospel. We must make sure the truth of the gospel, the true doctrine, stays pure, and it does not change. In verses 7-10, through 10, we see Paul's obedience being entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. We must be obedient, sharing the gospel with those we are called to reach. Being a disciple of Jesus means making disciples, means sharing the faith with others. In verses 7 through 10, we see Peter called to reach the Jewish people while Paul is called to reach the Gentiles. We see God's different purposes for different people. We must recognize God's different call for different people. We must not put obstacles in the way of salvation. What we see here is that these Judaizers, these people who wanted the the new believers to keep the whole law, they were putting obstacles in the way of salvation. We must not add obstacles. Sometimes we do that. We don't even mean to do it. We just do it. We must not add obstacles such as dress code. I know of people, I know of a pastor actually, who when he was a child, he went to a church. He was very poor. He went to a church and he was told, you're not dressed well enough to be here. Don't put obstacles. And realize that sometimes we are putting nonverbal obstacles in the way of the gospel. We must not add obstacles such as diets. We must not add other obstacles. We must not add nonverbal and non stated obstacles. Maybe people think they have to be white to be Christian, or white collar, or affluent, or Republican, or Democrats, or musicians, or singers. We know it can't be musicians because I can't even clap and beat, right, Elaine? (laughs) Elaine tries to recruit for choir, but not to me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We must not put obstacles in the way of people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. We must remember the poor. I like football, I really do, but you know, in football, you have to do good to achieve to make a team. Unless you're maybe in peewee football, I think at that stage they still let everybody to play and everybody gets a trophy. But as you get older, you really have to achieve. You You have to work hard to achieve, and the 2010 website of the Chicago Bears football team presented a series of videos that followed the team's rookies from their first arrival at training camp and on through the preseason. One video showed part of Coach Lovey Smith's first orientation talk with the rookie class. Of course, the biggest thing on each rookie's mind is whether he will make the team. Rookies know that the team roster begins with 80 players who come to camp, and after a few weeks, the coaches cut the team down to 65 players. Then, before the season actually begins, the NFL, all NFL teams, are required to trim down to 53 players. Of the 19 rookies who were invited to the 2010 Bears training camp, the team would likely keep only seven. Only seven. Lovey Smith knew that, and as he dressed the rookies, concerning his talk to the 2010 class, his challenge to them was make us put you on the team. Make us put you on the team. In other words, play so well in practice that the coaches could not imagine cutting you. Make us put you on the team. Take the decision out of the coaches' hands. Let your performance make the decision for us. That sounds really good in football, but not really good in Christianity. Most religions and most people of the world think that God makes the same sort of speech to those for our entrance into heaven. Most of us, we may think, we may not realize it doesn't work this way. We may think that God is saying, do you want to make the team and have eternal life? Make me put you on the team. Live such a good life. Do so many good deeds that I could not imagine rejecting you. Take the decision out of my hands. But the counterintuitive truth is that God works on a completely different basis than football coaches do. People who think they can perform so well that they can make God add them to heaven's roster because they are so deserving of it will be rejected. This is the idea of salvation by works and it is the opposite of salvation by grace. God saves us by his grace and his grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not like a football team. You know, uh, I have a good friend, a good friend who works at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I got to disciple him at my last church, and I was able to uh, also work with Fellowship of Christian Athletes with him. And when he spoke to FCA, he would talk about the Hall of Fame. And to get into the Hall of Fame, obviously they have to look at your sports record, but they also had to see that the amount of good you did outside of sports outweighed the amount of bad. And he would say, I'm glad that God doesn't do the same thing with me. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, anyone can follow me. It's open to anyone because it's grace-based. But you do have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Jesus does look for followers, not fans. He does call us to be on the playing field, not in the sidelines. But we don't have to earn our way to heaven. We're saved by grace. We can't earn our way to heaven. If we could earn our way to heaven, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. He went to the cross because nobody was righteous. No, not one. Because there's no other way. If there was another way, Jesus would not have had to go through Gethsemane. There was no other way. Jesus was there praying at Gethsemane, and he was saying, Father, if possible, make this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. His sweat was like drops of blood because there was no other way. Jesus went to the cross for us, died for our sins, and rose again. And we're called to confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior, to believe in Jesus as the only Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him, to trust in him and commit to him. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The gospel can be summed up in an acronym. The G stands for God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. The O is our sin separated us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We see that in the rest of the Old Testament. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see that in Matthew through Luke. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We see that in John through Jude. And life this eternal means being with Jesus forever. Revelation two five. If you believe that, praise God for it and share that with someone else this week. Have gospel conversations with others. Lest your friends say, we've been friends for 15 years. Why haven't you told me this? If you don't believe that, accept the gospel today. Trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believe in him and commit to be a follower of him. If you have questions about salvation, God, or the spiritual life, even if you don't believe or have doubts, I would love to talk to you. I would love to sit down and meet with you and talk and pray with you. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gospel according to to grace, not by works. I thank you, Jesus, that when we could not save ourselves, you stepped in and you saved us. You set us free, dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. Lord God, we need your help. Help us to remember the poor as this passage says. Help us to stand strong in a grace-based gospel as we see the Apostle Paul and the Apostles did in this very passage. Help us not to show partiality, recognizing that you do not show partiality. Help us to live for you and follow you. Help us not to put obstacles in the way of salvation. Lord God, we cannot live the Christian life on our own. We can only do it by the Holy Spirit within us. Holy Spirit, guide and help us if there's anyone here who has not responded to the gospel, Father God, I ask that you would prick their heart today and they would trust in you as Lord and Savior. And they would tell you that in a simple prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you and trusting in you. Lord God, help us all to live for you and follow you in Jesus name Amen Amen.